Amen. Wow, that was beautiful. Thank you, worship team leaders. Thank you guys for being the worship team this morning. That was absolutely beautiful. Thank you so much. Amen. We can praise the Lord for that. <laughs> Amen. Wow. Well, um, it's it's good to be back. Um, I was away on a couple of trips, and um, in Honduras, as you saw, I'm glad that worked out that I was able to greet you from Honduras, and we had a wonderful time there. Um, two weeks from today, uh, we're going to have a little extra sharing time in the service, so I'm giving everyone notice two weeks uh, to gather some pictures and maybe a story or two to share with you about God's work in Honduras. We stayed with the children's home. Um, we helped them out. We uh, built uh, laid cement for a sidewalk, did some painting, did some plumbing, uh, took the kids out and did some fun things with them, had worship services, had Bible studies with the men. It was just a really, really full week and was full of the, the wonder and, and grace of the Lord. Um, and so I'm looking forward uh, to hearing from others on that sharing as well. Um, and then I went um, straight to Denver, Colorado, and I was worried about making my flights in a snowstorm. And then we all canceled here because of the snowstorm. So we were all not in church on Sunday last week. And um, our denomination has a pastor's conference every year. And I was there uh, doing the final level. They have like three levels of ordination. And I passed my interview. So by the grace of God, I'm all right. I'm okay. Thank you all for the birthday video as well. That really touched my heart. That was really great to see the birthday video. And then um, I also took a class, which was a very interesting class. I'm going to share a little bit about it in the message today, but it was called Journey to Mosaic. And it's opportunities that our denomination offers to travel with a group of people to visit um, sites of historical significance uh, for the history of race and race relations in our country. And we visited and heard some very, very interesting and moving stories. Our denomination also does a trip called Sankofa, and I would encourage anyone to do that. And that's specifically about black and white relations in America. And it's a bus trip to the South to visit different things, and you process that uh, together. So this was uh, um, more multicultural in that we looked at stories of the, the Native Americans in Colorado, the Japanese that were interned there during World War II, um, the strong African-American community of Five Points, which is one of the most vibrant communities um, over the last hundred years, and also the story of um, Hispanics and the Chicano movement of the 70s. We just, you could tell, we just got full every day. We were just listening to people, talking to people. And um, one, of the, one of the amazing things, because there's probably a few hundred pastors there, uh, when I described this church, and I'd like everyone to just look around for a minute, just look around at everybody in this church. And when I said we have Hispanic, African-American, and white, people's mouths dropped. They said, what, what we already have is what people are trying years to get to. So I know it's hard, friends, but don't give up. What we're doing is very rarely done. So I want to give thanks to God and to you for even being here. Some of you saw on Facebook, I met up with a friend from college, a roommate that I hadn't been in touch with in a long time. And he said, man, if you're getting people to even come into the same room in this day and age, He's like, give thanks to God, give thanks to God and really pray that God can help you build on that as well. So today I wanted to continue with our theme, as you can see on our banner, that this is the year of connection. Our theme verse is John 15, where Jesus says, I'm the vine, you are the branches, um, that we need to be connected to Christ and connected to each other. And so we're going to focus a little more on that connection with Christ. And as I preached a few weeks ago on the first part of John 15, I want to go into the next section of John 15 and talk about how we can develop a deep connection with Christ this morning. Uh, so if we can go to the scripture verse, 
there on the present, and let's look at that together. This is John chapter 15, verses beginning in verse 9, if you want to make a note of it. John chapter 15, beginning in verse 9. Let's look at this together. Jesus said, As the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. Now remain in my love. If you keep my commands, you will remain in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commands and remain in his love. I have told you this so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be complete. My command is this, love each other as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, to lay down one's life for one's friends. You are my friends if you do what I command. I no longer call you servants because a servant does not know his master's business, but instead I have called you friends. For everything that I learned from my father, I've made known to you. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you so that you might go and bear fruit, fruit that will last, so that whatever you ask in my name, the Father will give you. And this is my command, love each other. Shall we pray? Lord Jesus Christ, we thank you for your words because your words are truth and your words are life. So God, we ask today that you would open our hearts, our minds, our ears, eyes, Lord God, that we could really understand the depth of what you are saying to us today, Lord God. Lord, I pray that we would connect more deeply to you and more deeply to each other. God, I just pray that you would have your way in this place. I pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So we want to connect. We want to connect, right? And, uh, you know, one of the simple kind of, you know, almost trite ways that we do that is we have connection cards that you see and we invite you to fill out a connection card because it's important. And if you fill that out and turn it in, we try to stay connected. So that's for visitors. That's for people that have been here a few times. That's for people that have a prayer request. Say, hey, I need to connect through prayer. We need to connect to one another. And we're trying to find all kinds of ways to do it. But what I want to do is talk about our connection to Christ and how it's related to our connection to each other. One of the reasons we focus on Jesus Christ at Hartford City Church is simply this. Jesus Christ is the best picture of God that we can ever have. So people want to know who God is, what God is like. The best picture of Jesus Christ of God is Jesus Christ. If there was another picture, Jesus wouldn't have needed to come, right? If people could have understood God the clearest from what he has created, which we can, we can understand God from what he has created, if people were to understand God just from the text of the Old Testament or the Hebrew Scriptures, which we can begin to, then Jesus wouldn't have needed to come. But Jesus came to give us the best and clearest and fullest representation of what God looks like. So whenever we're wondering about God and wondering who God is, we need to remember that we focus on Jesus Christ. And that's why we decided at Hartford City Church our mission would be to glorify Jesus Christ and bless the city of Hartford, because we need to focus on him. And it's that connection to Christ. What, what the text says is remain or abide or be connected. The image is a vine or that's connected to a branch, that's connected, that there's this life-flowing you know, stuff between us, you know, sap or whatever spiritual version of sap is, that connects us. It's the Holy Spirit connecting us to God through Jesus Christ. And I just want to look quickly at what Jesus says in this passage about connecting to him. He said, if you want to be connected to me, you got to remain or abide in my love. 
Okay, this is the same love that God has for me and the same love that you can have with me. And so if you want to be connected to Christ, you have to be connected to love, okay? And so how do we get connected, right? That's always the question we ask. Okay, that's great. I want to be connected. But how do I get connected? And it's quite simple. Jesus said, if you keep my commands. So when we keep the commands of Jesus, we stay connected to Jesus. So there's something about his words you know, that we need to listen to, that we need to be feeding ourselves with because they tell us what we need to do. But here's the thing. What is his command? It's to love each other as I have loved you. You see the important connection there because so many people will say God commands this or the church says do this or God wants you to do this. But it all begins with one thing, that we must love each other as Christ has loved us. For without love, you're not keeping Christ's commands. However much you may think that you are, there's a lot of people who think that they're righteous. They think that they're doing well because they try to look well to other people or they have a long list of disciplines that they engage in. Or for some reason, they think that, you know, just kind of showing up and, and, and being around something will make me a better person. But if we, if we try to obey God, if we try to live a moral life, if we try to do what's right and do what's good, but we have not love... We're not abiding in Christ because we're not remaining in his love. And we need to love each other as Christ has loved us. And that's an important distinction because people will misunderstand our message. When we say it's about love, people will say, well, what do you No, Love is defined as Christ has loved us. This is not a free for all decide in your mind how you want to love somebody, right? Or not what you learn about love from some other source which again may have bits and pieces of the truth in it. But Christ says we must love each other as he has loved us. And that's a powerful thing. So we're going to focus on Christ today. There's so much I want to say to you about loving each other, but I want us to focus on that aspect of, of loving Christ and abiding in Christ so that we can love each other. And then we're going to continue to explore this as we go throughout the year of what it means to be truly connected. So what is love, right? What is love? Maybe you don't hurt me. Don't hurt me. No more. I know. Certain songs always fly into my mind when you think about that. What is love, right? Love. Jesus defines it. Isn't this passage beautiful? Just, he just says, this is it. Greater love has no one than this, that you lay down your life for your friends. And then this beautiful image of where he says, I call you my friends. Wow. You know, you, we, we think we serve Christ and we serve him. But then Jesus says, at some point, you're no longer servants. You're my friends. Because you know more and more, you're connected to me more, you understand what I'm about. You know, that's what we want, right? We want that strong connection to Christ. Well, it's because the greatest love is laying down your life. And it's because Jesus Christ laid down his life for us. Just let that sink in for a minute. Jesus Christ laid down his life for us. And that phrase loses its power for some of us that grow up in the church because we're like, yeah, we hear that all the time. You know, we hear that same story. We're like, it's the same message and we want something new. But if we stopped for a minute and thought about the fact that Jesus Christ laid down his life, laid down his power, laid down his privilege, Lay down his rights, right? And can I say it? Can I be real this morning? I'm going to because I got nothing left to lose. 
We live in a society where so many Christians have power and privilege and think they're right. And I don't think we're laying down our lives for the sake of each other. When we're not even willing to stop and listen, when we're not even willing to consider a viewpoint different than ours, how are we ever going to get to the point where we're laying down our lives for someone else? So as I was going through my class last week and experiencing these amazing things, you know, you're, you're all pastors doing this together. So you're all like, what are you preaching on? Who's going to preach on this? And you always get excited because you want to like preach on something that you're just in. And, but I heard this story and I thought, if this is my text, what I just read, then, then I think this story is going to be very powerful and illustrative for us. I put it on social media. I want to explain a little more of this story. In southeastern Colorado, out on the prairies, where everything is flat, 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 flat. Can I tell you something about Colorado? We who live there believe that it begins in the middle of the state where the mountains start. <laughs> and this side of the state really belongs to Kansas. That's just how we grew up thinking. But it's, it's the prairie. I mean, it's the great prairie. And the Sand Creek Massacre National Historic Site is the site of where, and, and the estimates vary because they were exaggerated, anywhere from 70 to 500. That's what they say. Um, Arapaho and Cheyenne people were slaughtered and murdered by a group of U.S. soldiers that were led by a commander, John Shivington, who was also a Methodist minister. He was a pastor. And interestingly, he was an abolitionist working against the slave trade. But he had such a hatred in his heart for natives, he, he wanted to eradicate them. You see, the history of this is what had happened is, you guys understand that in this country, every treaty that we made with native peoples was broken, right? Every single treaty was broken. So let's stop for a minute and think about that. If every promise ever made to you was broken, how much would you trust the people that made that promise, right? So they were given massive amounts of land out west, from Wyoming to Colorado and Kansas and, and even part of Utah, massive amounts of land. But then the gold rush hit. Then the gold rush came and everybody wanted to get to California, right? In 1849, you ever wonder why San Francisco is called the 49ers? Because it was the minor 49ers that came rushing across the West to get to the gold in California, right? And so the government came to the Arapaho and Cheyenne and five other nations and said, we need to, we need to redo the deal. We need to, we need to limit your land and make it smaller. So what they did was they realized that if you see a picture of the Rocky Mountains, when you come into Colorado, you hit smack into the Rocky Mountains, okay? So the best route is to go around to the north or go around to the south, okay? And you can go through New Mexico and Arizona to get to um, California, or you can go up and around through Wyoming, Idaho, and there's a pass you can come down. So they said, listen, we're going to squish you in to the middle of Colorado, okay? So that people can, white European people can go around and get to the gold rush, so they agreed to that deal. Most of them did. Some of them didn't. And then the fighting began. But they were here in this place in the middle because they were told, we're going to make the routes around you and you're going to stay in the middle. But then something happened. They found gold in Pikes Peak, Colorado, right in the center of the state. And then people began to march right through the Native Nation's land to get to the gold in the mountains. And so the people pressured the government. And they said, we got to do something. These people are savages. These people are... Well, here's the thing that I learned. You understand that there's theology tied into this, right? There was theology that said these people are not made in the image of God. Can you believe that? Catholic Church, Protestant Church, the Puritans said these people are not made in the image of God. 
Therefore, we can do whatever we want to them because they're not truly human. I don't think we've wrestled with the deep impact that that has on our national psyche and even our religious understanding. That with that, that was, this was motivated not only by economics, not only by land ownership and gold and political. There's all these things going on, but there was a theology at work as well that had been taught that somehow people with different colored skin were not as fully human as others. Wow. And that's deep. And that's the deep work that has to be undone in our world today. So anyhow, John Chivington came. And he was more than happy to organize this raiding party. And they set up. We actually stood in the spot where they all gathered before they were going to attack. And here's the deal. The warriors were out. The only people in that village were children and women and elderly people. That's the only people that were there. And when they began the attack, the chief had the American flag on his teepee. And then he hoisted a white flag. And in spite of the American flag and the white flag of surrender, they went in and they slaughtered these women and children and elderly people. And I won't even tell you the stories we heard because they're too graphic. But you can look it up on Wikipedia and you can see firsthand accounts of what happened during that massacre that are just almost unimaginable. All in the name of God and country. But there's another narrative. There was another commander. Uh, there was about two or three different groups that came together. There was another commander, Silas Sewell, captain of the 1st Colorado Cavalry. And what he did is when he got there, he realized that what was about to happen was not right. He saw that what was going on was not right, and he ordered his men not to participate. He said, we will not follow your orders because this is not right. So they did not participate in the massacre. They stood back, and they watched it happen, but they did not participate. Well, after this whole thing happened, there was an investigation by Congress into what happened. And Silas Sewell, I think, becoming more and more convicted, went to Washington and testified against John Shivington and the people. And, his test, and, and of course, no one was ever brought to justice, but he spoke up and he spoke out about what, what happened. And then he returned to Denver and he took a position as a deputy marshal. He was only 27 years old and he got married. And a few weeks later, he was shot dead in the streets probably because he spoke out against the injustice. And this is the grave that we visited um, in Denver, Colorado. And you can see that around all of the graves, it's the only one that's decorated. And it's decorated by people from the Cheyenne and Arapaho Nation every year. In remembrance that this man spoke up and spoke out against the injustice, against the oppression. And I think today about our responses to injustice and oppression. Because we still live in a world and in a society where there's hatred towards people of other races. And I think sometimes the first thing we do is we don't participate in it, right? And we stand back and we say, well, that's not me. I don't do it. I don't do it, right? I'm not going to participate. Other people may do it, but I'll, stay, I'll choose not to engage in it. But friends, that's just the first step. The next step is when we see something, to say something, to speak up and speak out against what's going on even realizing that it may cost us our lives, but if we're truly to love everyone, and love is what? Laying down your life for each other. And I wonder if Silas, I wonder if Silas ever thought as he got back to Colorado, maybe I should have jumped in with them. Maybe I should have stood against instead of just not participating. 
Maybe he was on that journey where he was going to do more and more. We'll never know. But if the first step is recognizing there's injustice, the second step is not participating in it, the third step is speaking up and speaking out, but the next step is to actually go and stand with those who are being oppressed and to be willing to lay down your life for the sake of someone else. Again, there's so much I want to say in this. I feel like we're just at the beginning of a journey together this year where hopefully we will learn what it means to truly become brothers and sisters in Christ, to truly stand and be with people that are oppressed, to truly get involved at whatever level we can and to realize that, yes, it's going to cost us. There's going to be a price to pay because greater love has no one than this, than you lay down your life for your friends. And Jesus said, I've called you friends. So if I'm calling you friends, then you need to see other people as friends, right? And he said, you're not servants. I don't see you as a servant. I see you as a friend. God's got to redeem and restore and renew and give us a new vision for each other. That someone who looks different than us is not only fully human. They are my brother. They are my sister. Because you're going to fight even harder for your own than for somebody that's not your own. We've got to get to that point where we see each other as each other, where we're together. And it's going to take a choice and it's going to, it's going to cost something. But it's amazing how in this way we are connected to Christ. So you get where I'm going? That's kind of a flip back around. But in connecting to each other, we're connecting to Christ. So the deepest way that we connect with Christ is we connect to each other. So I wanted to ask one more question about this story for a minute. Because when I tell the story, we like we, we tend to put ourselves in the story, right? Which, which we do. We're like, who am I in this story? Most of us, I'm the person sitting with my child you know, in that restricted land under the power and the oppression of somebody else. Some of you have felt that power and oppression. We find ourselves, right, in this story that continues to repeat itself. But the question I want you to consider today, and it's a simple one, and the question I want you to just take with you today and, and really, you know, reflect on is where is Jesus Christ in this story? Where would Jesus Christ be in this situation if this story is an example of things that have happened all throughout history and are still happening all around the world and in our own country and in our own cities? Where is the presence of Christ? For it's the power and the presence of Christ that we long for. That's what we want to be connected to, right? Where is Jesus in this story? Well, if we read the scripture at all, Jesus goes to where the oppressed are and he sits with them. Jesus would be with the ones who were brutalized. Jesus would be with the ones who were killed. Jesus would be with the ones who died because he came to this earth to be with us and he died for us. He died. He enters into our suffering to such an extent that he bears the weight of the suffering with us. And that brings up a whole bunch of other questions, hopefully. Questions we don't have all the answers to. I wish I had answers to, but I don't. Why doesn't Jesus do anything to stop it? It's a fair question, isn't it? Why doesn't Jesus do anything to stop it? Again, we could have all kinds of fancy theological, philosophical answers. I don't know that I know the answer. A long time ago, I learned I can only preach and proclaim what I know. This is what I know. I don't know all the whys, but I know that Jesus is with us. I know that he chooses to be with us. 
that somehow I hold on to that, even though I may not understand everything that's going on, even though, even though I might not know what God is doing. Because Jesus, right, he could have come and he could have just snapped his fingers and made everything all right, but instead he chose to live and eat and walk and suffer and, and experience what we did and to die with us. You know, I don't understand why Jesus just didn't come and make everything right, right? Some of us don't understand why he's taking so long to come back, right? If Jesus, if you would just come back, you could really help us figure this out because we need some help, right? But Jesus somehow wants to be with us and work with us and work through us to try to bring us together to understand his presence so that even if we suffer and die, we don't suffer and die alone, but Jesus Christ is always with us. And he rose again from the dead. Either that's true or it isn't, right? If there's no resurrection of the dead, then we would be horribly lost in darkness. But there is resurrection from the dead. There is life after death. There's life after life after death. I mean, there's, there's eternal life. It's a choice. We may not believe in it, but it's a choice. That is there something better? When we sing, I see heaven in this place, it's not just that we see heaven now, but we believe that this is a taste of heaven where people from every tribe, including the Arapaho and the Cheyenne and every tongue and every nation are going to stand before the throne of God as equal children of God. Do we believe in that vision? Do we pray for it? Do we plead for it? Do we cry for it? Do we agonize together for the vision that God has for us? You see, if we want to experience true love, we need to be connected to each other. This is some of us including that uh, handsome youth pastor on the right-hand side there um, with some of the kids in Honduras. At this sign, at a park. <laughs> God have mercy. At this sign at the park, <laughs> at a park at the top of Tegucigalpa. And um, I just chose this picture because I just want to talk to us about really coming together. Right? We want to we experience love so much. We want to experience God so much. But there's going to be more power when we come together. There's going to be more of the presence of Christ, right? What you know when you visit other places that we experience the presence of Christ there, am I right? In a powerful way, right? And you realize that, wow, the presence of Christ is everywhere. And when I experience it in another way, it's like, oh, it's amazing. So when we get together in other cultures, right, and you experience the presence of Christ, you're like, wow, when we're in worship service there, right? And everything's in Spanish and the girls are dancing and the, and the little boys, right, are like raising their hands and tears are running down these little boys' face. These boys that have been beaten and abused and abandoned by their parents and they're praising God. You're like, wow, the presence of God humbles me, right? Right? And when you walk into a church of a different culture and you experience the power and the presence of God, the first time I walked into the citadel of love and everything was different, and I was like, I don't understand what's going on, but the power of the presence was so powerful. God is here. God is here in this place. And so when we connect with each other, we feel more of the power of his presence. We abide, we remain, we get connected to Jesus Christ, the source of life, right? And the message of Jesus is amazing. He goes on to say all these wonderful things that our hearts are longing for. He said, you didn't choose me, but I chose you. You're like, what? Jesus chose you. Every single one of you was that kid standing on the playground. And Jesus said, I choose you. I want you on my team. Josh probably got chosen a lot for teams, I can tell. But yeah, I want you on my team. 
But everybody gets chosen, right? I want you on my team. I want you on my team. Jesus says, I want you. I'm going to go to the greatest lengths ever known to humanity to show you that I love you. I'm for you. I'm with you. And I choose you. It's powerful. It's powerful. Somebody says, well, wait, pastor, we have to choose. That's right. You have to choose. Because when someone says, I want you to come here, what do you got to do? You got to come here. In the face of that amazing love and choice, some people say, no, thanks. I don't want to play Jesus. I'll walk away. Right? So we choose the choosing. <laughs> it's both. We choose the choosing. But now that he's chosen, he said, listen, I've only chosen you. You're not just going to sit on the bed. You're not just going to be a part of it and watch, but you're going to bear fruit. And you're going to bear a lot of fruit. And you're going to make you're gonna make changes in your life and in this world that are going to last forever. Forever. And why don't we see more of that? Because we're not coming together like this. There is yet to be such a big, vibrant diversity of the body of Christ coming together in one room like this. If this were to expand, we would see more power. We would see more fruit. We would see more of God's goodness. We would see love and joy that changes our lives and changes the world, right? Jesus said, here's the reason. I want you to have joy. I'm going to put my joy in you, and your joy is going to be complete. By the way, in the process of all of this, you're going to understand joy. In the process of this, you're going to understand what it means to truly be with someone. And again, unless you go to another culture, you don't know what that's like to even in the midst of suffering, sharing your sufferings and and hurting together, you can experience joy if you come together in the presence of Christ is there among you. And then Jesus says, check this out. Then you can pray and whatever you ask, I'll give you. We all want that, don't we? We're like, how come I can't get that? Thank you, you know? I want to swipe my card, punch the button, and have Jesus give me a new car, right? I mean, that's our understanding of that. It's not like that at all. The reason you can do that is because you're so connected. Your prayers change. Your prayers actually change. And they become more in line with God's will and with what he wants. I'm telling you, your prayers now are only at a certain level. But if you guys really start to connect to one another, if we could really bring black and white and brown and purple together, our prayers would change. Our language would change. And the power of our prayers would be increased because we're more connected to Christ. You see what I'm saying? That power, that abiding, that remaining in Christ's love and that love for each other brings us together in a super powerful way. And then I just love Jesus. I love him so much. I love the way he communicates. He gets done with all of that And he says, in case you haven't got it, here's my command. Love each other. Love each other. So one simple question for you today, and this is it, I promise. What are you going to do to lay down your life in love for someone else? What is God speaking to you today? It It just begins. It begins with a step, right? I'm the kind of person I get overwhelmed, you know. I hear all these stories, and I think, oh, my God, what can we do, you know. And I want to create this big program, and I just get overwhelmed with all this stuff. And God reminds me, no, there are people in your life that you can talk to. So before I got home, I thought of one person who shared with me their struggles that they have. You know, being a, being a person of color in an environment that's predominantly white. And I made a commitment. I said, I want to listen to more of your story. So I texted them and said, hey, we need to get together. We need to really begin to share deeply with each other about what's going on in our lives. I don't know what it is for you. 
I'm going to give you a few moments to let the Spirit of God speak to you. Because it, you can just come here and just be here, and that's great. You know, because I know that the, the music and the worship will bless you. But you could say, hey, this church was supposed to be more than just coming once a week. And if you're waiting for us to start a program, you're going to be waiting for a while because we're not really good at making programs. <laughs> we're just not. What we are good at is that you can do it without any program. You don't have to wait. You could get somebody's number today before you leave. You can text each other. And if it's three of you, you could get together at Dunkin' Donuts. And guess what? It's a small group. All I'm saying. <laughs> doesn't take a whole lot to get started, right? You know? It's like, wow, we don't have time to get together. We can't have a prayer meeting, you know? Nobody comes out for a prayer meeting. What have I done? Jose came to me, right? Called my friend Jose. Jose said, Pastor, I want to learn how to pray more, right? And now we have a text group, right? And Jose and me and a couple other people, we text each other, right? Prayer requests. And Jose texts me and says, hey, I got this going on today. Pray for me. Guess what? We're having a prayer meeting. <laughs> We're having it on our phones. You know, it really just begins with just starting. Just starting. What can you do to begin to connect to each other in love? Because in doing so, you will connect more deeply, more powerfully to the love of Christ, which connects you to God. Would you pray? I'm just going to invite you to just enter into a time of prayer. You can close your eyes if that's helpful. You know, just bow your heads, whatever. First of all, reflect on Jesus Christ, that he laid down his life for you. If you haven't received that, then receive that love this morning. And if you have, would you seriously give him thanks for that? Because we need to. Oh, my Lord. Oh, my Lord. Lord, let me never become complacent about your death on the cross for me. Hallelujah. Just give God thanks for his love this morning. Amen. Amen. Receive his love. Maybe you've been trying to live without the love of God. Maybe you've been searching for the love of someone else. Just say, God, just fill me with your love with your love. Just give him thanks. Amen. And then would you just say, God, speak to me and just let God speak into your mind. Say, God, how can I love each other in this community better? Who can I reach out to? What can I do to lay down my life? Maybe some of you need to speak up and speak out. Maybe some of you need to go and sit with someone different. Maybe you need to, whatever step it is, and, and I'm praying for healing, friends. I, I, I feel it in this room. Some of us need healing from the way that we think about other people. God, would you bring a healing to us today, God? Would you forgive us of our sin? Heal us. Heal us from the evil that lives in our hearts and our minds. Lord God, do a cleansing and powerful work in our midst today.